Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Joining me via Zoom from a home in Southern California is my friend, Autumn McAlpin. Welcome to the podcast, Autumn. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Will you um, spell your last name and pronounce it for us? Absolutely. It's McAlpin, without an E and without an H. People like to have those, but it's M-C-A-L-P-I-N. And... Um, I've really been looking forward to this episode. We're going Autumn's going to share her story of being a parent to a gay son, Gavin, and we'll share that story. She's also now written a book um, that's out. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's called "But Jesus: A Conversation with Beautiful Artwork," and she'll talk about who the artist is and how that came about. But our it's a really tender podcast. As I've read this book, I usually don't read. Books. I just don't have time before an author's on the podcast, but I really wanted to read Autumn's book, and it's moving. It's powerful. There's some really difficult things that occurred in their family and with their wonderful gay son, and our purpose in sharing that is to help us do better um, so that some of the painful experiences that have occurred, we can learn not to have those painful experiences and do better as we know better. So our joint prayers, this podcast will help you if you're um, a parent um, with an LGBTQ child, this podcast will help you. A leader in any cir- circumstances will help you. And if you're LGBTQ, um, I, I think our joint prayers, this podcast will help you too, as you hear principles and perspectives and thoughts to help you navigate your life in a, in a way that is helpful to you. Is that okay for an introduction, Autumn? Absolutely. Thank you. Let me read a little bit about Autumn's um, background, as I typically do on a podcast. Um, She is a graduate of BYU's English teaching and USC's Master of Professional Writing programs. Autumn is an award-winning writer, producer, and director. Her feature films include Waffle Street in 2015 and Miss Arizona in 2018, and her stage play In Front of the Children, which won USC's 2015 Writing for Stage and Screen Completion. Autumn penned the Orange County Register's humor column called Cracking Up for a decade, and she's the author and best-selling graduating gift book, Real World 101, A Survival Guide to Life After High School. She currently writes the weekly family profiles for Lift and Love, And we'll link to that in the show notes, listeners, a site that serves as an intersection for LDS and LGBTQ families. And she's actively engaged in Circle, which provides a safe place for LGBTQ youth. Autumn lives in Southern California with her husband and her five kids. So with that, um, we'll turn it over to you, Autumn. Right. Well, thank you. Um, So, okay, it's Christmas season, right? And um, I, my thoughts are as tender as a mother this time of year. Um, any mother who gives birth to a baby at Christmas time knows that special feeling of feeling a little more connected with the nativity story. And my gay son is 20 and he turned 20 yesterday. And so he was born December 10th. And I remember when he was born feeling this strong connection with Mary, Mary, mother of Jesus. And that scripture, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart really jumped out at me. And as I really felt like I understood what it was like to be the mother of a son, you knew had a special path in life, that he had a mission that was going to be important. And um, 
all five of my kids are special, unique, and wonderful in their individual ways. This particular um, child has always, we've always shared a very special closeness. He's always kind of been my right hip and and we're very close. And he is exceptionally kind and brilliant. He's a genius. He's obedient. He's thoughtful. He's sensitive, artistic, caring. And um, from an early age, I just noticed he was different. Something about him was different. I didn't know what, but he was he was exceptionally mature. And I remember when he was seven years old, he was in a primary class and my friend was his teacher. And after she came and told me, she said, your son, there's just something about him. And I said, what happened? And she said, they were teaching a lesson about Joseph Smith. And he sat there the whole lesson at the end, all the kids got up and ran out to their, you know, their sharing time or whatever. And, And he stayed there and he was troubled. And she said, what's wrong? And he said, what about Emma? Why don't we talk about her more? And so from this young age, he just had this astute, keen intellect that showed him there. He he asked deeper questions and he wanted to know. And um, he he was extremely obedient his whole life. He never did anything wrong. In fact, there's times we would bribe him. We'd say, hey, we'll give you $500 to throw a rager party at our house just (laughs) so you can fill that high school experience, right? Because he was so just perfect in every way. And, and of course he, he didn't want to do that. <laughs> he didn't want to mess up their furniture, you know? And so <clears throat> this child of ours was just a standout kid start to finish. And um, around eighth grade, he started having his first romantic relationship with a girl. And it was a girl who'd been one of his best friends their whole childhood. And um, she wanted to try dating. And, and so he, he tried that with her, like tried to have this little cute romantic relationship. And after about nine months of this. And, um, my husband and I kind of wondering, you know, back in ninth grade, when we were in ninth grade, we, we, we like to kiss people of the opposite sex. And we like to have those romantic relationships. We noticed his relationship was exceptionally chaste. <laughs> um, we wondered what was going on. And, um, he said that, you know, I want to be her friend, but I just, I, I just don't, he didn't understand the chemistry that was supposed to be there with, with a girl. And um, the next year we traveled abroad for a year and um, we had a lot of time as a family to really get to know each other and spend time together. And Gavin, like I said, he's always been exceptionally bright. And this time I, I noticed he was starting to question things using his science brain, starting to question things about God and about, you know, spirituality. And um, then the, his junior year, we came back to California and we noticed a depression had set in with him. And um, he didn't have a strong desire to go out on the weekends. He spent a lot of time huddled under a blanket with a hoodie on with his hood over his, his, you know, his head. And we noticed something was wrong. And this is when the pandemic happened. And um, in March of that year, everything shut down very quickly and very extremely in California. And it was August. Um, it was, or, I'm sorry, April was Earth Day. Um, April 22nd of 2020. And Gavin's an environmentalist, so it's appropriate that it was Earth Day. But he came in to our room at 3 a.m. that night and he said, I have something to tell you. This is 3 3 a.m. 3 a.m., that witching hour, that witching hour. And he came in to my husband and I and he said, I have a few things to tell you, actually. Um, First of all, I'm gay. Secondly, um, I'm done with the church. And third, I'm really struggling with my mental health, really. And um, when he unveiled that to us, it all hit big. It was it was all kind of a surprise in a way. Um, but the one thing that we worried the most about was his mental health. And um, I, I had a we have a lot of experience in the LGBTQ world, working in the entertainment industry. I have many gay friends. It's always been part of our life. It's not 
anything weird or odd or bad to us. It never has been. And obviously we have a lot of experience in the LDS world, but we didn't have as much experience with that intersection of having our child who was raised LDS come out in the LGBTQ world. And so obviously we plunged into that parental role that we all do of self-study. And of course, Richard, I told you your your podcast was my first stop. Um, Immediately people started referring it to me and, and I would go on long bike rides during that quarantine by myself, just listening to story after story and realizing that our son being gay is not a problem for us. And honestly, we understood why he felt a need to leave the church. That wasn't even a problem for us. But how can we help his mental health? Because we felt complicit in this idea that we had somehow been part of a system that had messaged in a way that made him feel less than. And so we took that upon ourselves through education. Like, what can we do to give him the best path forward? So at that time, when your child comes out, um, you get a lot of questions, obviously, from people. We got a lot of, did you know? When did you know? How did you know? You know, and what I knew about my son unequivocally was he was unique and wonderful and gifted. I did not know he was gay. I knew something about him was different, but I didn't necessarily pinpoint this. And the gifts I still know about him to be different aren't that he's gay. I don't introduce him as my gay son, right? You know, he is an amazing remarkable child on his own. But this was an added component that I do believe lent to his extreme compassion and empathy for others, just knowing what it feels like to not feel like you're fitting in. So after he came out, we had good responses and we had not so great responses. And I'd like to share those because I think they lend um, a tutorial to those who are new to this space, especially with a friend or family member coming out. Um, One of my favorite things that happened. so, So the way he came out publicly, he came out to us um, quietly. And we said, this is your road. What do you want to do with this? You know, we support you and whatever you want. And within a week, he um, felt ready to come out to his siblings. Um, we had our oldest daughter was on a mission at the time. And she actually, before she went on her mission, um, she became super ally in high school. Three of her close friends were gay. And her freshman year called, she attended Pepperdine where her best friend was gay. And, um, she was always just, we, we just knew, I mean, she would just be the most loving uh, resource and support to him. And while she was on her mission, before she left, she said, Mom, you got to figure Gavin out. <laughs> and um, she, she kind of wondered you know, why he wasn't that interested in dating and, and everything. And um, so we knew she'd be supportive. And then we told our um, son, who at the time was, I guess, 13. And he's, you know, our too cool for school son. And he's, he's fun. He's a womanizer. And he's like, duh, I've been telling you guys this for years, you know, no big deal. And, you know, he was extremely supportive. And then our daughter, so Gavin came out to all of them in a private moment with the family. And then our youngest daughter, who now is 15, she's 12 at the time. And they, they're very close. The two of them are very close. And, um, she, she has what we call Hulk mode where she's the sweetest kid on the planet, but if you press her button, she can go Hulk on you. And she said, well, I don't care at all. This isn't a problem for me. But if anyone ever tries to hurt him, I will kill them. <laughs> and so instantly, Gavin felt the love of this family that's wrapped around him. And our fifth child, who I haven't mentioned, is actually a foster um, son that moved in with us a year and a half ago, who was not part of our family at the time. Um, but he's been extremely wonderful and lovely in every way. And so Gavin knew he had his family support. Then he decided to do the Zoom call that everyone was doing at the time with... Um, with his extended family. And um, we knew, and it was great to know that we just knew 
he's such a special person in our family. He's like every niece and nephew and cousin's favorite uncle, favorite um, kid. We just knew that everyone would embrace him and, and surely they did. We didn't have any negative responses from family. In fact, my father-in-law, um, he's Southern and kind of traditional and pretty conservative. And, um, and I did wonder how he would respond in his phrase. He said, well, so he told my son, my husband, and so he said, well, son, God makes them the way they come and God don't make no mistakes. And, and so it was just wonderful to hear this love and um, support that Gavin had from our family. And beyond that, he decided to come out to just a handful of his closest friends. And um, I would say that was a positive experience at the time. They, they all expressed love and support. And some of those friendships didn't necessarily continue in a strong way afterwards, but um, he did feel their support. And after that, he wasn't sure what to do. He, he's always, he's never done social media. He's not a social media kid. And he wanted everyone to just kind of know at once. He didn't want to walk around town and wonder who knew and who didn't. He didn't want to be a, a discussion topic. He just wanted it to be out there. And that was it. So I am on social media. So he said, mom, can we do a post together? So we spent like a That's week. A great idea. Post. And um, so we posted and um, we just, I just posted a, a mother's support for her son. How proud I am of him. We put on some just love t-shirts. We had that one of my friends who's also a mother of a gay son had made. And we just um, shared our support. And that day as, as so many of, I'm sure your listeners know that day that you send out a, a public, this is, this is part of who I am. You're nervous. You're very nervous. And you're just waiting for the responses to come in and and luckily, I can say, Gavin, I don't even remember how many comments. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of notes, and every single one of them was loving and kind. And one of the things you notice in these moments is, is you, you're not doing this for people's love and acceptance. You know, you're doing this to be who you are. But it does matter. It does matter when people reach out and support you, know you're safe with them. And you also sometimes even louder than those who respond or those who don't. And that was something that we did go through. There, there were people who were close to us who <clears throat> I have to say maybe have not been as vocal, have pulled away, have um, kind of taken space from us. And, and you do notice that. And um, <clears throat> luckily in our case, sometimes those holes are filled by people who become deeper friends and deeper connections and truer friends. And so now that we're two and a half years into this journey, I can say that our lives are much richer than I would say they were before we, we, really understand um, friendship. Even there's people who I know don't necessarily understand or maybe even agree with some of our um, decisions, just how we're moving forward. And, um, but they still support and they still show up in love and they, and they lean in and they, they believe us. And I think that's one of the best things we can do is just to believe people when they tell you who they are, just believe them. So some of the people who respond in a great way that I think are models of how one can do that well is um, we have a friend named Doug who's, um, I believe he works in finance by day, but he's a DJ by night and the youth loves him in this area. And he's just a great friend. And the day that the post went out, we got a knock on the door and it was Doug. And I wouldn't say Doug is someone we see every day in our lives, but he's, he's a great friend and his daughter is Gavin's age. And, and he said, I, I'm just here. And um, it really meant a lot to me. Um, he said, I read your post and I don't know what I can do, but I'm just here. I just want to show up and be here. And wow. him on our front porch that vulnerable day meant a lot. Wow. And um, I'm a hero. He's a hero to me. He, I'm a big fan of his. Um, another person who really showed up for us, our bishop at the time is a good friend named Darren. He's someone my husband had actually served with in the bishopric. And, and 
Darren very quickly um, asked us how we, you know, how, how everyone's doing, checked on us. We told him about Gavin's decision to step away from the church. He completely respected that. And one thing I love about Darren is even after we, we shortly after moved out of the ward, a few months later, we, we moved to a different house and, um, and, you know, people weren't going to church anyway at that time with COVID, but Darren continued to reach out to us, even when he wasn't our assigned bishop, um, he would take Gavin to lunch and he never, ever brought up religion. He never brought up those things. He just was his friend and it meant so much to us. Um, another friend that we absolutely love, his name's Scott, and he was a member of our state presidency. And there were some leaders in the state who I will say, um, when we talked to them or told them, we've been around the state for about 20 years. And um, there were a lot of leaders who never responded. And like I said, the silence sometimes can be deafening. Um, and sometimes, of course, they don't know what to say or they're trying or they're, you know, they're still learning. But sometimes we can just say, tell me more or thank you for sharing that with me, you know. And there were people who I wouldn't say um, responded at all. And one of our friends, though, Scott, who was in our state presidency, um, wrote the most beautiful text where he said, he believes in life that we all go through our own share of learning or challenges or, you know, trials or struggles or whatever you want to call everything we go through. And he said, some people just have a lot more of that at the beginning of their life. And he said, I've always sensed Gavin has a a deep maturity and now I know why. And he said, I'll walk with you. I'll march with you. Anytime I need you, I'm here for you. And um, in in our, my book, I wrote, he's the good Samaritan that I mentioned Um, the way he scooped us up in that dirt road and held us. um, I, I do believe that he's one of the reasons that we continued to decide to go back to church, um, my husband and I anyway, because I felt safe with him. Um, so that fall, fast forward. So that was April. And having been the storyteller behind um, Lift and Love, where we, I interviewed so many families to tell the story, so many kids came out during the pandemic. And, and I know you know that, Richard, but so many kids did. And I think it's because a lot of us were sheltering with our families and we were put in a safe cocoon where we felt like we could really identify what was going on in our lives and really um, be safe, you know? And I think a lot of kids felt that safety in that period. And one of the great blessings of COVID was that we had time to insulate as families and we had time to process things, not just in this space, but in all spaces, you know, that may have been difficult. And for us, like there wasn't that weekly, are we going to go to church? Like, one of the hardest things as a parent is, are you going to go to church and leave a child behind? You know, especially when you feel like some of the reasons they're not going to church are because of the messaging they've heard. And you don't necessarily want to support that. You feel like a traitor to your child. It's a very complex place to be very difficult. And so we were kind of going through that. And and because we moved, you know, the new ward didn't really know us as well yet. And so we, we took some time. We definitely took a sabbatical. And um, I was a frequent youth speaker um, at youth events. I, I work with Just Serve in our area. And a lot of times they'll have me come in and do Just Serve projects or you know speak about service. And that fall, I was asked to be a speaker at the state youth conference they were having. And they wanted me to talk about service. And Gavin had not attended one church meeting at all until that point. And, and, and we had truthfully barely only attended a couple, but um, he hadn't attended anything. And... I asked him, I said, Hey, no pressure. You don't have to come, but I'm giving a chat about service. It's very, you know, safe. It's very safe. We're just talking about service. Would you like to come? And I'd be doing this, the talk all day long with different groups rotating. And he said, well, maybe I'll come back. So my last 
um, talk of the day I was giving was to his peers. It was the senior, the senior kids. And um, in that talk, I mentioned that um, one of the greatest services we can do, and my son was not there. He did not come. Um, but one of the services that we can do is we can just be kind and loving to everyone, no matter whether they're part of our faith or not, no matter they've stepped away, whether they're gay or straight or, you know, we just need to be nice. And, and I thanked the kids in the room who had um, continued to be friends with my son, um, you know, even though he'd stepped away from the church, which I completely understood his desire to do that. And um, at the time, the keynote speaker of that conference, who is um, from Salt Lake headquarters and general authority had stepped into the room. So he heard this. And afterwards, he pulled me aside. And and we have some family history as well. Like we have some mutual um, close contacts. And, and he said, I really want to know why your son stepped away. And I said, well, he, he's gay. He, he came out this year. And, and that's been, it's been hard for him to be raised in this, you know, some of the messaging. And unfortunately, this conversation did not go as well as I would have hoped it would. Um, what I was told in response was, um, your son's not gay. He's a child of God. And I said, well, I recognize that he's a child of God and he's also gay. That's, that's not an either or statement. You know, you can be both things. And we proceeded to have a conversation for about 45 minutes. And um, it was not completely comfortable for me. Um, there were some things shared in that conversation that showed me that we probably have different experiences in this realm, that maybe this person doesn't have a family member or someone really close to them who's gay, who's told them things that where they believe some of the things that we've been going through. And, and there were things brought up in this conversation in which my son was compared to um, an autistic grandchild who can't get married. And, you know, some people just can't get married in this life. And, you know, and he was just kept telling me that um, we were not doing the right thing by supporting our son stepping away from the gospel. And, um, and the truth is my son hadn't stepped away from the gospel. My, my son very much is among the most Christ-like people I know. My son had stepped away from a church that was really hard for him. And I tried to explain this. And at the time, my son was identifying as a spiritual person. You know, he was, he was trying to tether to Christ. He was trying to, you know, study spirituality. He was, he was looking into Buddhism and some other practices that, that could still give him some sort of spiritual fulfillment. And I shared this with the man. And um, unfortunately, at that moment, um, my son arrived on the scene and he was late. He was late for my presentation, but he arrived that evening and a couple of his friends roped him in to sit with them and stay for the keynote speaker's talk. And, um, this is an unfortunate experience, but, um, the man identified because the friend of mine walked by and said, your son's here. He knew my son was there and he, he went out of his way to go over and introduce himself to my son. And my son did not know about this conversation we just had. And the speaker proceeded to give his prepared remarks. And in that talk, there were many moments where he looked directly at my son's eyes and said, in this day and age, you can't be a spiritual person. You have to be a member of this church. This church is the only way. And he said some messages that I don't think he had any idea how damaging they were for my son, but they were extremely, excruciatingly damaging and painful for my son because as many of us know, when your, your child's going through mental health issues where they're feeling less than, sometimes they consider suicide as a way out. They consider that as the way to get back to what they're supposed to be. If what, they're, if that, if what they are is being defined as wrong, suicide seems like the way out. And my son was receiving this message once again at the first time he'd come back to a meeting that um, should have could have been a positive experience. And he's being told, 
basically your choice is not right. And this is not what you should be doing. And my son got up and left the meeting. And that was a very, very dark night for our family. Um, I'm very glad our son is still with us. And um, when I left that conversation that night, which I wanted to leave early in the conversation, but I kept feeling this prompting, stay and talk to him, stay and talk to him. I got in my car and I had one of my crying, screaming mama prayers. And I, I've learned God's okay with those. Um, and I said, why did I have to stay in this conversation? Why did I have to hear those things? And a very strong prompting came to me. And I heard a voice say, you did not need that conversation, but he did. Wow. You need to tell your story. And as a storyteller and a filmmaker, that's what I do. Um, I usually tell stories based on true stories or based on people I know. But I don't always dig in and tell my true story. <laughs> and I felt very strongly I needed to. And so that's what started this book. Um, I walked away from that and I started getting downloads of information that would come. And that's the only way I can describe them. They felt like downloads where I'd wake up and I would just hear words and I'd see words and they would come. And I've... I've never considered myself a poet. That's not something um, I, I write many genres, but poetry has not been one. But I, these conversations would come and they felt like conversations. And sometimes they were, they were text messages or they were prayers or they were um, things people said to us, but they would come and they would come in this format that was very clear. And I started getting these downloads of this, this vision of like, you're supposed to write this book and it's supposed to look like this. And the title, But Jesus, A Conversation came. And I remember I debated with that because I thought, well, it doesn't really say what the story is about. But it was like, no, your story is a conversation you're having with Jesus about these experiences. And, and um, so the book came in this format and the, the book is formatted. Um, I still didn't consider it poetry. I thought free prose or whatever conversations, but um, my writer's group was like, no, this is kind of poetry. And, but they would come in a format where I aligned the book in a way where on the left, the alignment is words of divinity. So those are words that come through prayer or song or scripture or my conversations with Jesus. In the middle were the facts. What happened? This is what happened today. You know, this, this was an experience that happened. And on the right were the things people said. Other people would say things. And so this book came very clearly how it was supposed to be formatted. And I started writing it privately and I didn't talk about it too much besides with my writer's group. And um, so I wrote exactly what happened. I wrote the good, the bad, the ugly. I wrote excerpts from that conversation with the general authority. Um, I, I wrote it out. And the one person I did not want to show it to was my son, because at the time he was still struggling a little with his mental health as he continued to senior year. And I didn't want to ever do or say anything that would trigger him. And the impression I had had was to write the story and to share it with leadership. It wasn't necessarily to publish a book. It was to share your story with leadership. So I wrote it and there are parts of it I don't even remember writing because I feel like I was just the medium. I opened up my mind and things came and this is what happened. And um, I sat on it for about a year. And then last Christmas, I felt, okay, it's time. I, before I send it to anyone, I need to share it with my son. And he, at this time, had graduated high school, had gone to Berkeley where he's a student. And he really has thrived there. He found his communities in a great place and he's doing better with his mental health. And so last Christmas, we sat together on my bed and we um, read the book together and it was a very positive experience luckily and um, it didn't seem to trigger him and and he did correct I said is this how you remember it you know of course I wanted to say it was this does this ring true to you is this and there were a couple things he corrected and he wanted to add the epilogue which shows that he's doing well now and shows why he's doing well and so we did that and um, it was a really beautiful moment 
And I asked them, I said, okay, when I was told to write this book, I was told to send it to church authorities, including the man who came and spoke to us. Um, are you okay with that? And he said, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> and uh, so I decided to do that. And we had just gotten a new state presidency in our area. And I'm not one who writes letters to the general authorities. That's not really my MO. But I, I knew, I had heard that when you send something to them, they generally kick it back to your local leadership. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll just make the path easy and I'll just go ahead and send it to my local leadership because <laughs> that's probably the only per- people who actually might look at it and read it. So I sent it to our new stake presidency and I did not know the new stake president at all, but I knew his um, counselors and they're wonderful people and they, some of them are friends of ours. And so I sent it to all of them and um Within about 36 hours, I had a call from the state president and it, it was actually a text that said, call me, we need to talk. Of course, my, my heart dropped. <laughs> okay, they're kicking me out. Here it comes. And, um, and I wondered what would happen and um, called him and we, had, we actually had a wonderful two-hour conversation. And I quickly picked up on the fact that he's a thinker, he's a doer, um, he's someone who's read and studied and researched and he's a responder. You know, he's a responder. When someone reaches out to him, he responds. And so often our leaders can be first responders um, or they can choose not to be, but he chose to be a first responder. And, and, you know, it was a little delayed a year and a half into our journey, but I needed that. And um, he said, you know, I'm not naive to this space. I'm not a neophyte. I've I've read and I've talked to a lot of people in the LGBTQ space, but but this book, like I, I will never look at things the same. Like you've shared things with me where I see things differently now. And um, in our conversation, I shared with him that um, I can't remember who put out the statistic, but someone you might know, Richard, but someone said that a lot of LGBTQ families leave the church within two years. And I shared with him that. And um, he said, okay, when did your son come out? And I said, well, about 22 months ago, he goes, oh, okay, we got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Um, And he said, he goes, I really think you should do something with this book, but I think it's going to go a lot further if you're in the church while you do that. And he, he, he knew where we were. He knew that my husband and I were struggling. Um, not with our faith in Christ and not with our spirituality, but we were struggling with the definition of a perceived membership in an organization that had been harmful to one of our children. Um, and to one of the best people we know. And we weren't quite sure how to proceed. And in this space, I've met lots of friends who felt the safest place for them is to follow their kids out of the church. I've also met several friends who have found that they're able to redefine their presence in a way that works for them, where maybe sometimes they're staying to help others, to be a voice for others, to be a support for others. Um, sometimes they're staying because they feel you know, a pioneer-like call to be part of a journey and an evolution. There's so many choices people make. And I absolutely wholeheartedly respect all of them. I have, I, I, I do not judge anyone for their choice. I, I absolutely understand both sides. And I guess for me, like people will say, like, sometimes you're on the, the edge of the inner or the outer circle, you know, you're kind of on the edge or you're a doorkeeper. And sometimes you need those people on the edge who see both sides. They see what it's like, why people leave and they see why people stay. And sometimes you just need those people to be there and to catch the people who aren't sure what to do. And for me, that's kind of where I had found my place in the church, where I did start attending that new ward, um, not every week, I would say, but um, as, as much as I felt comfortable. And there were definitely weeks where, for no reason at all, I would have to just leave. I would just have to walk out and leave or, you know, do my Sunday school in my car, waiting for my other two teenagers who were still in. And um, 
listening to podcasts or listening to music. There were just ways where I needed to protect myself. And then one Sunday, I was sitting there feeling a burning and a pain throughout my body. I was, we always sit in the back row of an overflow. Our words very large. It goes to the stage. And um, I was sitting in the back row. I just feel safer back there. And um, I was sitting there and I was looking at our organist who had been called to be my minister. And she is a woman I deeply love and respect and admire. And she's the mother of a gay son who I believe is in his 40s. And she's been doing this a lot longer than I have. And she's playing the organ. She's one of the most loving, wonderful people I know. She loves her son. She loves all her kids. She's just a wonderful woman. And she's up there playing the organ with a smile on her face. And I telepathically <laughs> sent a message to her across the room where I said to my friend, Garnet, how are you doing this? How have you done it this long? Because I don't know if I can keep doing this. And the message I got back wasn't from her. She was busy playing the organ, but it was from above. And I got a message where God said, I release you. If this is too painful for you, you don't have to do this. You can leave. It's your choice. I've got your family. I've got them. Pardon my emotions. I've actually never shared this story. I wasn't planning to, but I felt strongly. All of a sudden I should. So um, there was something about that moment where I knew that I was okay if I left. But it made it easier to stay. And I don't know how to explain that. I don't know why. But it just made it easier. Because now I felt like I had the permission. And I knew that God knew my pain. And he was okay with whatever I decided. So since it has been easier for me to attend. It has been easier for me to show up. And many times, there's times where I don't feel like I'm showing up for myself. It's just to be there for those who I do know need me. And um, my Relief Society presence is amazing. She's created an extremely safe space in um, Relief Society. She, she's one of the best just natural ministers I've ever met. Mary Alice Hatch. She's amazing. Um, she actually runs the What Now podcast. She's a wonderful woman. But um, she, um, she's made a very safe space in our ward for those who have different beliefs. For those who step out, she, she has many gatherings for people who can come and do art or do other events if they don't feel comfortable coming to church. She's just a true disciple. She's amazing. Um, she's made um, our space very safe in our ward. And she's actually asked me to teach Relief Society a few times. And that was something I, I had decided I probably would not do anymore is teach. And I used to love teaching. I was a teacher and I loved it. But um, I just had decided that maybe wasn't a space I wanted to enter because at the time, I was probably being a little mature and saying, well, I don't want to say a lot of things they probably want me to say. I want to say my truth. But she said, no, you can speak your truth. And she lets me do that. And um, so I only teach lessons that are about Jesus, as all lessons should be. And I'm able to share my truth. And there was a lesson she asked me to teach about why people leave and why people don't want to be part of the church. And I thought, well played, Mary Alice. <laughs> you asked the right person to teach this lesson. And I... Um, was very honest and vulnerable and talked about how hard it was for me to attend church. And after that lesson, I had several, several women approach me 
um, to tell me that they felt the same. I had several women come up to me and say their child had just come out and they didn't know what to do. And in sharing my raw vulnerable experience, I, I felt safer in this network. And now it's easier for me to attend because I know I'm not alone. And I know I'm not there for me. It's about others. And um, I still like, recognize and completely support when people feel like it's not the best place for them. I completely understand that. But for right now, for whatever reason, I'm feeling like this is the work we're supposed to be doing. So, um, so after sending out the book, um, I thought my work was done. I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm done now. And um, May hit of this year. And I started getting this itchy, gnawing um, feeling that, nope, you need to share it with more people. You got to do something with... And at the time, I had sent it to some trusted friends. I'd sent it to some of my Lift and Love family who, you know, I've loved working with Allison Dayton there and writing the stories and getting to know so many hundreds, just hundreds of wonderful families who share their stories so vulnerably. And I had showed it to some people who kept saying, this needs to go out. Like, this needs to be out. And I had had this strong feeling... Like, okay, well, if I can get this, this, and this, then I'll, then I'll put it out there. And one of the things was I really wanted cover art that was beautiful and conveyed this vision I'd had of this book. I, I knew it was supposed to be this really cool cover art, this art that spoke to our souls um, of being a mother. And um, J. Kirk Richards, of course, is one of just uh, so many of us in this space, our favorite artist, and he's definitely mine. And, and I bought some of his pieces before and they hang in our home. And he has Rainbow Family and Friends at Church and, you know, all these beautiful pieces. And I thought, wow, Jay Kirk Richards could do my artwork. That would make it easier to get this book out, you know. And um, I reached out to him. Um, well, I actually had this strong gnawing, like, reach out to him today. Like, reach out to him today. And I went online to see what he was up to. And he had just lost his mother-in-law and posted about it. And he was very close with her. And, and I was like, I'm not going to bother this sweet man the day he's lost his mother-in-law. And so I decided not to. But then the feeling came back, no, you need to reach out to him today. And I was like, okay, I can do this. And so I did. And he responded probably within an hour. And he said, yes, I'd love to do this. Would you like an original piece or something I've already painted? And I was shocked that he agreed so quickly to give me the greatest gift ever. And so he agreed to do it. And then shortly after that, I went to lunch with a friend who I know is an author. And she's a newer friend, so I don't know her as well. We sat down and started talking and she mentioned that she was publishing. And I I'd already sent the book to a couple of different people in publishing. And I had some leads there. But when I sat down with this woman, I just knew she's supposed to be the person to deliver your book. And I just had this feeling like she's supposed to do it. And I said, okay. And she didn't know I had this book. And I, I told her about it. And she has a vested interest in this space as well. And, and she said, I absolutely want to be part of this. And I sent it to her that day. And she, and she actually offered to donate her time and everything. And, and, um, and one of the caveats with the book is every dollar from this book is going to therapy, life-saving therapy for LGBTQ kids through InCircle and through Flourish Therapy. Um, that was another thing. I had to find a publisher who would be fine with that and not, not making any money at all. And she was, and, and she signed up for the mission. And then um, more time passed and summer came, it got busy and I sat on it and I sat on it and the feeling came back, you haven't gotten it out yet. You're supposed to get this book out. Okay. And with Gavin's blessing, um, we did some of the finishing work and I needed press, you know, I needed testimonials and I needed um, permission, legal permission from some of the people involved in the story. And so I did my pie in the sky list of who would I want to write a testimony on. Richard, as you know, your name was top of the list. And I asked you for one, as well as Carolyn Pearson and Stephanie Larson in Circle and Allison at Lift and Love and um, Amy Olibus, who who runs a podcast I like called Breaking Down Patriarchy. And and I asked all of them, um, and I got responses within a week. And everyone had read the book and wrote a very generous testimonial. 
And then it came to legal where I had to um, reach out to Janice Cat Perry's company because I use my son's favorite primary song was A Child's Prayer. And during our journey of him coming out, that song would just play in my head a lot. And uh, we had a lot of private moments of, of just hearing the words of that song and, and contemplating them. And I love Janice Cat Perry and her music, her 2000 songs she's written in. And I thought this is going to be hard to get, you know, the rights to use this song. And it probably knowing legal and from my movies, it takes months to do these things. So I wrote to her company and I said, I'd like to get permission to use her lyrics in this book. And the response I got back from was from her son, John, who runs the business side. And he said, well, we're going to need to see the book. And I thought, oh, and I did not know <laughs> about Janice Cat Perry's family. I knew she had six kids and I knew she'd be a foster mom to 10 kids. And I thought, okay, I've got to pull out all my persuasive writing techniques here and really convince them that like, this is a worthy book of their song. And so I wrote about being a foster mom and, and I wrote about mental health and wrote about all these things about how much the song had affected our family. <clears throat> and I treaded lightly on the LGBTQ space just because I didn't know if they were allies, I didn't know. And as I sent this note out, I prayed, please let one of those 16 children she's raised be queer. Please let one of them, you know, someone in her life be queer so they understand why this book is important. <clears throat> and the next morning I woke up to an email from John, her son. And he said, so dot, 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 I am gay. <laughs> and then he told me his brother, who you just had on your podcast is gay. And several of their foster kids were gay. And he said, my mom is definitely a lover of gay people and we would love to have our song in, in this book. And so that really meant a lot. So everything came together within weeks. And I talked to Adrian, my publisher friend, and, and she said, let's get it out. So we sent it out <clears throat> and put it on Amazon and had a book launch event. And um, it's actually available at all um, bookstores now through Ingram distribution. And we got it out there. And I have to say, the response has been lovely in that, um, first of all, it's, it's not hard to ask people to buy your book when every dollar goes to charity. So that's really fun. Most of my projects, I feel, oh, I'm always like hesitant to ask people to buy them or support them. But this one, because they go, uh, goes to such a worthy cause, I'm honored to you know, ask people to buy and support this cause because they mean a lot to me. And then Jay Kirk's artwork, um, the day he delivered it, I... I could not have dreamed anything more beautiful than the cover that he um, put together. And, and he did it on his own. He said, send me three of your passages and I'll come up with something. And the woman on the cover who's holding a compass, who definitely is, is deeply contemplating and um, communing with her higher powers. Um, he just embodied it perfectly. And so I'm so happy with how it all turned out. And um, I, I've seen a ripple effect so far of people sharing it with people in their circles, with leadership, with, um, people all over the world. I've had former missionaries who used to serve in our area um, reach out to me and they come out to me and they've said, I've been following you. You didn't know this. I've been following Lift and Love and, and I, I found your book. And, you know, I've, it's, it's gone places that I didn't even foresee. And um, that's been really cool and remarkable. And um, if it's okay, I'd like to read just a couple passages from it. For sure. Please, I, our listeners would love that. <clears throat> okay, so... Um, this one is called collateral damage and it's, it's, it's not a, um, uh, spoiler alert. The, the book is not a comedy, <laughs> so it's a little heavy, but, um, but this is one that describes our experience of when, when we were treading back into whether we're going to go to church or not. 
um, collateral damage. On Sunday mornings, I tiptoe. The first year ever, I'm grateful for 8.30 a.m. church. Luckily, a teen, he still sleeps. Most weeks, it's still too hard to leave one behind to take the rest back now that the doors have reopened. He came out during quarantine, allowing us all rest, God's COVID mercy. Sundays are still for families. He's still a part of us, mercy. I can stay home and still find a meeting on Zoom. I can find church on my phone. I can sing along with Lauren Daigle. We've moved to a new ward with many who refuse to wear masks, but it is you who needs to do better at following the prophet. Some of their kids were the ones, those ones who tried to get his beloved seminary teacher fired. I pre-stream the program each week. Who's speaking? Who's teaching? Are we safe? But it's not about me because I am a mother. I have two younger teens who still want it, need it. Most weeks they wake up ready to go. And we slip into the back row. My husband, our guard dog, has found so many new reasons to call in sick on Sundays. So often it is just the youngers and I. And when I have to walk out and finish church, bleary-eyed in a parking lot, my mask now a tissue, my Sunday school podcast, they understand why. It's not because of the kid Gavin's age who got up and gave his mission farewell. I'm happy for him, really. I have a missionary too. It's because we cannot find a seat in the overflow. Even our back row is taken. Bustling with droves of kids Gavin's age, they used to come to our house, but don't anymore. And today they have shown up to support another friend living their mutual LDS dream while my son sleeps at home and walks alone. So that's that's just a story about the alienation many feel in this space. Um, I'm going to share one called, I loved to see the temple. I loved to see the temple. I really did. Even when people pontificated on the strange, I saw what they meant, but still welcomed the 90 minutes of quiet communion. No pings or notifications allowed, only the divine. <clears throat> I loved the blueprints, the plans, that we are all part of a plan, even if I don't know how that plan ends for us anymore. But that's the thing, isn't it? There isn't an end. And we are so early in our story, so much to come, progression. A friend hands me a golden ticket during lockdown an invitation to witness her endowment. And I asked myself, in what tense do I want to see the temple? Packed away to remember all the good I once felt, preserved as a place for others to enjoy in the future, but not for me, or enter <clears throat> in my current state, unsure what parts I believe anymore, and if it's even necessary, if not meant for all. Quiet communion, you promise. I acquiesce and arrive and sit in a quiet, dimly lit room with a handful of imperfect people who love each other imperfectly. I brace myself for what might come and shatter whatever's left of all I've ever believed. I observe Eve with her impossible choice, the contradictory commands. I observe things have changed because good things are supposed to. An action, a picture, a phrase now improved, and I plead for something new that might solve everything. But instead, I receive words I've heard before, only this time they beat like a drum, a mantra. All are alike unto God. It is not good for man to be alone. Men are that they might have joy. And I gasp in my quiet communion and open my eyes to the bright light as I take it all in, the love, the hope, the mercy that always was and remains to be for him, for all, for me. And I'd like to share one more. And this one 
reps in the Lift and Love family I've become part of, of all the mothers and parents and and people who've shared their stories so bravely. And um, this one includes some of the pearls that they've shared in their stories. And, excuse me, okay. Active or activist, what are you now? And where does your husband lean? He circles your son, a single-minded fortress, while you try to change the world for all the upcoming Gavins. You write weekly family profiles online, how to lift, how to love, lift and love work, meeting hundreds of families just like yours. Their pearls resonate, and these are their quotes. You have to affirm yourself and believe in your own goodness. It's more important to avoid breaking a person than to avoid breaking a rule. I plead that you be more understanding to people who experience and struggle with things that you may not experience and understand for yourself. There are too many people and too great of people to have this in their lives for no reason. I want to stick around and be here. The woman with the rainbow pin, the one who raises her hand and reminds people that things have changed. Leaders don't say those things anymore. It just makes you mad when you're in a church that works so well for you, but there's no place for your child. When we don't make space for our LGBTQ kids, we're also not making space for the people who love them. To ask another human being to live their whole life without a companion when you have one, that's just cruel. I don't believe in a Heavenly Father who would make you the way you are and punish you for being that way. We were given this family on earth for a reason. And if we turn our backs on our children because they're doing something we don't like, then we just failed our test here on earth. I separate the church from the gospel. My gay children are light seekers and bearers and do it a lot better than a lot of Christians. This is a blessing, not a trial. The trial is seeing them in pain. We as a church have failed our LGBTQ members. We have a lot of work to do. We need to listen to and understand them. And we need to let them know they belong. We don't belong here. We don't belong anywhere. And so we mourn alone. There is no plan in place for families like ours. Let's push for further light and knowledge regarding our LGBTQ family members. We are the opposite of lazy learners or lax disciples. True eternal success won't be because of the temple recommend. It will be because we loved unconditionally. And I thank those women who contributed. And I thank the many families who contribute and tell their stories. And I believe it's through sharing our stories that we can educate and enlighten and uplift others. And I'm hearing that this work we're doing, this great work that some would call Satan's work, is actually softening hearts all the way up to the top. Um, I had a dear friend actually meet with an apostle this week. And without sharing too much of her experience, she did share that he acknowledged that they are trying to do better and they are trying to understand better. And not all of them have personal experiences with an LGBTQ loved one or close family member. And as mothers, it's our job, you know, um, in the Book of Mormon, there's that, that verse of their mothers knew it. And what is it that we know about our kids? We know as mothers, they, they didn't choose this. They didn't, they didn't, they can't change it. Um, many of them thankfully have embraced this part of them and, and know it's a beautiful part of their life. And they're using it for to to manifest their their potential. And I know with my son, he he's come to terms with who he is, and he's wonderful, and he's confident in who he is. And and I'm not going to say he doesn't struggle still at times like we all do with you know mental health or with other things, but he's embraced this part of him. And and I'm so grateful that he's gotten to this place of of health. And and we support him fully in our family. And um, I'm so grateful for all who share with me, who share with others, who those who share on your, your podcast, Richard, those who share, because we all have experiences that we know 
are true. And unless people are willing to listen and lean in and believe people, we can't do this great work. And some person, um, a person who's become a really great spiritual guru to me right now is um, Pastor Stan Mitchell. A lot of us in this space just love Stan Mitchell. And I've had the um, privilege of getting to meet with him and, and feel of his spirit. And, and I tell you what, very few people preach the way Christ did, um, the way that Stan Mitchell does. And, and one of my favorite quotes that he said is, parents of LGBTQ children are called to be the prophetic conscience of the church on this issue. Their children's suffering is their ordination. Their children's beauty is their anointing. Their children's future is their great commission. Their children are both their reason and their training. And while others, even religious leaders, play abstract doctrinal games with plastic chips and monopoly money, these parents are not only playing with every dime they have in the world, they are playing with their children's lives, their children's hearts laid bare and vulnerable on the table. It's hard to argue with that, you know? Um, parents know, and, and we all know our truth. And, and I really appreciate those who provide forums like this to, for people to share their stories. So I really appreciate you today, Richard, having me share ours. Listeners, this is the point where I worry if I say anything, it'll distract from what Adam's already shared with us. I'm just so deeply moved. You have brought all of your gifts as a mother, as a writer, as a teacher, as a speaker um, to this place and are now um, not only blessing your family, but blessing our community. And I think there's a principle there for all of us that want to be in this space is use what talents you have in the circle of your influence to make a difference. Um, there's been some incredibly touching experiences of difficult experiences with church leaders, but terrific experiences with church leaders. And I just recognize that you're trying to help us do better by sharing both. And we are hopefully mature enough of the church and individuals in the church to hear both and to recognize we need to do better. And we're not at the finish line. Gavin, I don't know if you're listening, but if you are, your courage to walk into your parents' bedroom at 3 a.m. or wherever you are in the house and tell them, as I'm right, reading it here, I have something to tell you. I'm gay, I'm done with the church, and I've been really struggling with depression like really. I think that's incredibly um, courageous of you and has started you on this journey to healing. And I'm grateful your parents are walking with you and your family is and many of the people. And I'm grateful you found your way to Berkeley. And I'm grateful you've allowed your story to be shared. And you have a great life ahead of you, Gavin. I love the tributes that everybody's given to you about who you are and your gifts and attributes. And um, you have a great life ahead of you and and respect for you and the life you're living. And um, and um, you telling your story gives hope to others that there's a future for them and that they have hope and their life and they can be okay as they share their story. I love that you both came out on social media together in a joint post. I've never heard that before. Um, I sometimes read this and I think uh, um, Autumn's aware of it, but I think of this quote from Gene Kratz and I've been reading it. You know, it, it just as background at Apollo 13, it was their darkest moment where they thought all was lost. And that's maybe how you felt at first, maybe not. Um, 
you were, I liked the way Autumn, you were most concerned about your son's emotional health and you made it about that. And I think that was a great parenting moment to see the big picture here. Um, this isn't about keeping my son in the church or not, or somehow making him straight. This is about keeping him alive. And so Gene Kratz in that darkest moment said, no, this is going to be our finest hour. And I think it's your family's finest hour that started with your son at a tender young age of 17, knowing he could talk to his parents about this. Some, as we all know, don't come out till much later, and they walk this road um, alone for a lot longer time. So, And now this is just a beautiful family love story. It's painful, and it's difficult, and it's hard, but it is a beautiful family love story of, to me, following the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ and applying it in a family situation. I'm just so deeply moved. Thank you, Kirk Richards, for writing this, for drawing. I guess artists don't write paintings for drawing this beautiful <laughs> painting. I'm looking at it. Please buy the book, and you can check out the cover. Um, I love the family support. I love your husband and all your siblings walking this road with Gavin. Um, I think, and I love you sharing your own journey with the church and honoring everybody's paths. I think that's kind of where I am. Autumn is, you know, owns this principle of agency and self-determination and just support people in their individual journeys. And I think we do better that way. And I love that you've let Gavin self-determine his best path forward and and have made this about having him be his best self and leaving any of the questions you have at Jesus's feet and just loving this wonderful man who's doing so much good. Um, so listeners, there's probably a lot of you just like to jump right through your microphone and give Autumn a big hug. Um, you're so vulnerable and honest and vulnerability brings the spirit. We're recording this on a Sunday and I feel the spirit as I hear Autumn share. I want to go to your release society. I love you sitting on the back row, giving permission to leave and then deciding to stay. And that's neither of us are inviting you and the listeners to stay because of Autumn's story. But I love that sort of empowered you to stay because you felt you were doing it on your terms. And you've got people around you that are letting you do it on your terms. And you're also honoring Gavin on his terms. And this isn't about, this is just about loving people where they are. It's not easy to stay in the church um, if you're familiar with this space. It's hard for me, and I don't even have a queer kiddo. And those of you that are walking this road know this as well. It can be very difficult and and not all stay, and we honor everybody's past. I love this member of the stake presidency. Um and I love, well, there's a few good stake presidency members in there and stake president, but I love this idea of a responder for a priesthood leader and that you use the, that vocabulary to describe him. And isn't that a wonderful thing that we can all do as Latter-day Saints is be a responder? I love that man. I've forgotten his name now. It's probably in the notes that showed up at your door that night and your brave vulnerability of sharing that post that, and how much that meant to you that it just physically came and so, you know, this is just helpful for listeners to know what to do. The silence is difficult. Um, so people that may say they love you and may be supporting of you, I think when you are vulnerable, you need their love and support and figuratively or literally show up at your doorstep and tell you that you love them. I love this quote from Pastor Stan Mitchell. 
Um, I do I do like that we're children of heavenly parents and that we can take on labels underneath that. I think that takes shame away. I think um, this isn't like a, a mistake or something that has gone awry. I think this is part of Heavenly Father's plan. It puts everybody on the same moral footing, straight or queer, that they're all created in the way they're supposed to be and allows them to have a relationship with Heavenly Father and the Savior and be spiritual, to use your words. And and I think that muting someone's ability to take on a label is not helpful to them. Ben Shalati taught me that, and you've taught that. So those are just some of my thoughts, Autumn. Um, I'm just so deeply moved. Um, I want to reread the book. Um, I will think you will continue to feel impressions on what you need to do in this space. I don't think, Autumn, and I don't want to put pressure on you or your family. This is going to be a one and done. I love what you're doing with Lift and Love and what they're doing and Allison Dayton and all involved, bringing stories. Stories change my heart. I love your book and I love the work you're doing. And I think you'll continue to be in this space and be helpful. So I'll turn it back to you for more thoughts that have come to your mind. Well, thank you, Richard, so much for that. And again, thank you for being part of our journey. I don't know if you realize how much you're part of so many people's journeys, and, and you really are. And, and and you're modeling the way that Christ went to listen, learn, and love, to lean in, to, to believe people, to, to honor them wherever they're at. And nothing <clears throat> makes someone feel safer than hearing the words that I'm okay with your choices. You know, I'm okay. And, and like, God modeled that to me, you know, when he said, you can leave, you can leave. And, and not only can you leave, but I still got you. Like you're okay. You know, and, and getting to have your heart cracked open, like the way so many of us do here and getting to really see like the big picture and how big the love of God is. And then it's there for everyone. That's been the greatest gift in this journey. And I was told early on in the journey that you'll go through phases where like six months will pass. And I know I've heard people say this when like a spouse dies, like you'll hit a point, a marker, and all of a sudden things shift and change and you're feeling different about things. And that's how it's been on this journey. And right now I'm in the part of the journey that people told me I'd get to where you'll, you'll wake up and you go, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. <laughs> and, and it really is. It absolutely is. I, I would not trade this for the world. And I've even had moments where I'm like, I feel sorry for parents who don't have gay kids because they don't get to experience all this and, and learn all these lessons of love and how big and expansive God's love and mercy are and, and how much like we are all divine human beings. Like it's really great. And I, I've gotten to now where I do feel sorry for those people who pull away and can't lean in because I imagine fear drives those emotions and, and fear is, is not a positive tool for us to use in how we treat others. So I am so grateful. And, and I guess I'll just, and with this idea that um, on the cover of the book is this compass. And one of the, the poems in it talks about how the best advice I got was from a woman who is a mentor to me. And, and she has two gay siblings and a gay daughter and a gay grandson. And, and she said, um, she was raised in the church as well. And she said, you know, all our lives, we've been given a manual. We've been given instructions. And now you get a compass. And um and that really stuck with me. And I gave my son a compass on his first Pride Month as a gift. And they said, we get to do life with a compass. How lucky are we? 
And I think we all have that ability, you know, and even the church is saying now personal revelation, personal revelation, you know, they're really relying on, on that over the pulpit now. And it's true. We all have such different unique paths. And if we can embrace that compass that we have, it might not always sound like what we heard in a manual. It might not always what we sound, sound heard over a pulpit, but it's going to be unique and divine for us. And getting to like live with a compass now has been so liberating and freeing for us and our family. And I'm so grateful for the love and expansive knowledge that has brought into our world. And so I would encourage those to, to find your compass and to live by it. And I hope you find the happiness and joy that we've been able to find in our family. Thank you, Autumn. Listeners will link to, obviously, the Amazon link to Autumn's book. We'll lift, link to Lift and Love if you're not familiar with that organization. Terrific organization. And we just both invite you to act on the impressions you felt to what you can do to improve things in your circle of influence. Or if you're queer, we both pray that this podcast will help you to feel more hope and perspective and direction in your life. And um, I just would love to keep talking because I'm just so moved by your story, but we'll sign off. Um, I hope to cross paths. My wife and I have a daughter, Abby, and our only three grandkids are in your neck of the woods. So we love where you live and um, love to come and visit that part of the country. And so we hope to cross paths, Autumn. So this come is anytime. We love that. <laughs> we love that. So this is Richard and Autumn McAlpin, if I'm saying your name right, signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>